Welcome. You're listening to Building the Backend, a podcast for data architects, where we will uncover what's working and what's not across the data landscape. I'm your host, Travis Lawrence. Join me on a journey to understand the best patterns, tools, and frameworks for implementing modern data architectures. Each week, I'll interview data leaders and architects like the Vice President of Engineering at LinkedIn or the founder of Data Kitchen and employees at Microsoft and Google and many other top companies. To start off the new year, I have put together a quick 60-second survey to help me better understand how I can best serve you. Go to buildingthebackend.com slash survey to complete it. And if you do, your next coffee is on me, aka I will email you a Starbucks gift card. If you're hearing this message, then the survey is still live, so act fast and help me improve the podcast. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hey there, listeners. Travis Lawrence here. And I'm really excited about this next interview where we will dive deep into data governance, uncover why so many organizations struggle to implement it, and what you can do to increase the quality of your data. To share her expert thoughts, I have brought Laura Madison on the mic. With her wealth of experience from 20 plus years in data and analytics, authoring books on data governance and healthcare analytics, and passion speeches about innovation, data governance, and the value of data in healthcare. But what's really important to know is that Laura spends her days helping you build programs that align with the aspirational vision of today's modern companies with the less-than-glamorous work of data management. Laura also co-founded the Minneapolis-based consulting firm Via Gurus to converge two of her biggest passions, helping companies define and execute successful data strategies and radically challenging the status quo. So, Laura, say hello to Data Nation and tell us something interesting about yourself that most people do not know. Hello, Data Nation. So something that most people don't know. There's a lot of things that most people don't know, but I will offer up. I wrote a novel under a pen name. What's the uh, genre? Uh, I, good question. Probably literary fiction. Very cool. So jumping into our first question, what are some of the largest misunderstandings about data governance that folks have? <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah, there are a lot. There are a lot. And I wrote, it is so, spoiler alert, Travis is kind enough to give a questions ahead of time. And I went through them quickly and I wrote here that it works. <laughs> so I, I, and I say that jokingly, obviously, but uh, for most of the time that we've been doing quote unquote data governance, uh, I think how we have traditionally executed it has not been particularly successful for the vast majority of organizations. Sure. So it, it is very difficult to pick like one misunderstanding. Everybody talks about this whole idea of boiling the ocean or what have you. And it, it, certainly you can't do that. It doesn't matter if you eat the elephant one bite at a time, it still gets you really full really fast. So it's just, there's just a lot of, of really big misunderstandings about data governance, including starting with the definition. Absolutely. So how, how would you define data governance? Yeah, I just talked to somebody about that this morning, actually. And so here's the thing. One of the things in the book that I did not do is I did not define data governance. I didn't come up with a nice new definition. And I've done that in some of my other books where I felt like I needed to start with, this is what we used to think it was. Now this is what I'm thinking, you know, this is what I think it is. So I, I didn't do that this time. 
primarily because it just felt so overwhelming based on what data governance is. What I did do, though, is I redefined it based on four sort of primary categories. So it's really about usage. It's about quality. It's about data lineage or data management aspects of data governance. And then it's about protection. And the great thing about those in terms of categories is you can pick which ones are more important to you and your organization at any given time. That makes a lot of sense because I guess data governance means different things to different organizations and their priorities. Yeah. Yep. So in your book, you outline how to successfully set up a data governance framework. Can you elaborate on that concept that you're calling data governance ops? Sure. So adding ops to almost anything right now is super in yeah, vogue. Right. So there's a, I just gave into peer pressure. I know like that year I bought <laughs> leopard print shoes. But really, one of the things that I found as I was doing research for this book, and I, so I, when I did the research, I talked to a lot of different organizations, including organizations that were doing some really interesting things with data governance. And the one thing that I found through this process is that data ops or the function of data ops would be really valuable in a data governance construct. So you create an environment in which you're always introducing new con new things and you're testing those things. So that is why I talk a fair amount about data governance ops in the book. It really is two things, right? Just like any ops is. It is process and then it's the environment itself that allows you to introduce new um, content into your environment to test it to see if it passes all of the tests. So... In a nutshell, that's really what data governance ops is, recreating the procedures around how we think about data governance and then creating that environment, just like data ops, where you get to test those things that you've identified. Absolutely. And myself, coming more from an engineering perspective, I'm typically looking at the tools first and the technologies and just seeing what's fun and sexy in this area. But really, data governance is a lot more than just having the tool. It's more about having the right process and the people in place and how they all integrate one another. And I thought your book did a great job of breaking that out. And it's, there's a lot of OCM aspect to data governance. Yeah, it's critical to have the right procedures in place because you're not going to solve this problem with technology. How do organizations know if their governance needs to be improved? Are there KPIs that, almost like a scorecard, where you can see, yep, we're doing data governance well or not so well. What do you look for? <laughs> so the big thing is, of course, in order to do that, you have to understand what you're defining so that you can have a very succinct definition so that you can create a baseline to determine whether or not you've improved. And most organizations can't even start with a definition of what data governance means to them to be able to succinctly define it, to find the data, to create the baseline, to determine if they've been improving. So... No, I don't walk into generally, I don't walk into organizations where they've got a plethora of scorecards. Look at how great we're doing at data governance. Generally, it's, oh man, we've done data governance like three times and it's failed every time and like yeah. help, you know. Sometimes there's audits by some of the bigger firms that come in and give them a, a scorecard of how they're doing and data governance is usually literally on the very bottom of the page and it'll you know be like, boy, you really suck at this. And so usually that's what I see is that there's just not a lot of formality around those things in terms of what would we consider to be traditional data governance. And and those almost always end up being more of like compliance, privacy, security initiatives, I guess, mm -hmm. that will prompt a, a question about whether or not data governance is effective in the organization. 
Yeah, I think the big one that I've talked about for years is that whole bunch of executives get into a room with a report and they all have their own report mm-hmm. and yep. they all have different numbers on the report. So for the same thing and, and basic stuff, like number of customers we had last quarter and I got one number and then, and the guy across the table from me has another number and we sit there for the whole meeting arguing about which number's right. Uh, and those are, are one of those sort of litmus tests for whether or not governance is working. But there are a number of other ones, and including just your ability to answer questions succinctly about the quality of your data. Mm-hmm. Who do you go to? Who do you, we just even lack in many respects, lack that kind of, that kind of capability. What are some common blind spots that organizations face when they're maybe implementing or tackling data governance? What are they not looking out for or thinking about? (laughs) Probably the biggest one is that you actually have to pay for it. So two things. This is a journey, not a destination. You can't just put data governance on your strategic initiatives for 2021 and then do some stuff and then check it off and then think, oh, I did data governance. Everything's fine. Once you start data governance programs and initiatives, they will go on forever. And your job as a person that, that does that work is to make sure that they do go on forever, long mm-hmm. after your tenure at the organization. So that's one thing. It's a journey, not a destination. But the, the biggest thing I see over and over again is organizations saying how important it is and then not putting any money behind it. But the hard thing is that they don't even realize they need it until it's too late. It's a little bit like wearing a seatbelt, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't click it on after the accident. So I think probably the biggest thing is not funding it, not putting the resources and the and some tools behind it so that it can actually be successful. Yeah, that's a great point of how you got to have the funding behind it to support these causes. And yeah, yeah it's a marathon, not Absolutely. a sprint. Yep, yep. One of them. And I also like in your book how you're not trying to boil the ocean either. You start with the highest priority kind of data governance initiatives based off your priorities and you focus there and as things are successful you roll more into that i'm a huge advocate for don't over employ people don't over buy tools but put a little money behind it and then be really pragmatic but be laser focused on your ability to get some of this stuff done mm-hmm. and and you'd be really amazed what can happen when you do those things so another key point in your book that you make about data governance is it needs to be democratized to increase the usage of it. How do organizations balance building trust, but also increasing access? It feels very difficult to achieve both. Yeah. Yeah. It's a doozy, right? When I was working on the book, doing all this research, reading articles, talking to people, this the one word kept coming back and it was trust. And, and literally everybody I talked to, right, mm-hmm. from the CIOs that would be responsible or ultimately responsible for these efforts in many organizations to even chief information security officers. I talked to general counsel. I talked to just a, a myriad of people in organizations that ha- have to do this work in some way, shape or form. And that trust word kept coming back. And I kept trying to figure out how to write the book without it. <laughs> Because, you know, like I'm a data person. Right. I Let me balance an equation or run some multilinear regression. Please, please don't ask me to de- define trust in the context of this. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it is difficult. But at the end of the day, I couldn't ignore it. Because at the core of what data governance is attempting to do, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I had an epiphany. For most of my career in data, I would use this analogy of, look, we got this house on the corner. And we've got some big 
windows to let all the light in, but our house is a mess. And our job as people that are data professionals is to close the curtains. And that's what data governance is. We're going to, we're going to close those curtains so nobody else has to see our mess. They, they shouldn't have to worry about that. So on the flip side, what happens though is that our end users, and it's admittedly terrible term, but the people that we work with right. all the time, our business stakeholders, they see these data in two places. They see it in the very beginning when they're entering and in, yep. and they see it at the very end in a beautiful, fancy dashboard. There's a, crap ton of stuff that happens to that data between the point that they enter it and the point that they get it at the end. And the problem is we've spent so much of our time protecting those business stakeholders from the thing that happens in the middle that when they ask questions about what they see at the end in that pretty little dashboard, we often aren't really in a great position to answer that question either because we haven't had data management or data lineage tools. But also what happens is it degrades trust almost immediately because they know what they entered. And so the thing about it is that the where we fall down is we're trying to protect them from themselves. And the way that we can actually improve the quality of the data and improve democratization is doing the one thing that we thought we weren't supposed to do, which is you let people in a little bit. Now, I recognize that there's a balance here. You can't let anybody do anything with the data and think that it's going to be okay. So we have to balance this idea of collating the information together versus curation of how we present that data back. But if we do that in a right way, if we do that in a balanced way, and if we're really transparent about what we're trying to do, then when they do come to us with data quality concerns, not only can we explain it to them, but they can start to appreciate what happens when they enter it and the impact that has on the thing that they're looking at the end. But we've been so busy trying to protect them from that, mm -hmm. that not only can we not answer the question, but then they can't help us answer the question. Right. So the, the fuel, the way that you actually get this done, the way that the engine actually works is if we create an enormous amount of transparency so that people can understand and help us become better stewards of our own data and improve the quality along the way. The way that I started thinking about this was Simon Sinek, as everybody knows Simon Sinek, right? So his definition of uh, trust is a transference of value. And I realized that in the way that we were thinking about how to present data to our business stakeholders, we weren't transferring value. <laughs> we were treating them like toddlers. Right. And particularly in a modern world. When I started, oh, so long ago, most people didn't look at data the way they look at it now. It was still in inner office envelopes. Mm -hmm. And today it's like on our phones, it's in these sophisticated dashboards, and they're pretty capable of handling a lot of the stuff that used to used to be fodder for professionals back in the day. So that's how you balance it is a very long-winded way, but that was the explanation was important to, to figure out how to really balance those two pieces because they are not competing forces, right. but they do have to be balanced. What types of cultures are the least successful implementing a data governance initiative? <laughs> um so if you walk into an organization and the, you just can tell that they don't talk to one another, you know, they're not going to they're not going to govern data, which is a higher order, you know, thing that we have to do. If you're balancing this whole idea of transparency to create uh, trust, but they're not transparent in any other decision that they make you know, you're probably not going to get real far. Right. If they give a lot of uh, talking points to this idea of governance, but again, not willing to back it up with any kind of resources or money, 
they're probably not going to get real far either. And I'm talking about if you are an employee in that organization. I'm not talking about as a consultant. Mm -hmm. If your boss comes to you and says, hey, would you do this data governance thing? And you're like, I already have two jobs. And they're like, you're going to have a heck of a time, you know, getting that done. But I see a lot of organizations do that way anyway. And that's what I mean by you know, culture. So in your book, you talk about this concept of data ambassadors and you have these Sherpas and you have this analogy. Can you break apart? (laughs) Yeah, that's always the tough one because when we think about the old way we used to think about data governance, it was always like you'd have a data steward for all your primary data domains. How many primary data domains do you have? I don't know, Mm -hmm. 15? But then you have aspects of that primary data domain that break off into multiple applications. How many organizations do you know that have more than one ERP? A lot. Um, You bet. So then you have scenarios where you have data stewards for each of these primary data domains breaking out by each of the ERPs. So all of a sudden you have a five times three is 15. Then you have, wait, then you have three more ERPs and then you have 45. And then you're like, oh my gosh. Um, So it very quickly becomes this exponential play, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the thing that I think is super controversial. And and it's one of the things that when I say it in presentations, people always gasp, like, (laughs) you're crazy. And yes, I am. But that's the point. Um, I really firmly believe that everybody in your organization is a data steward at one point or another. And here's how I think you need to execute that, right? If you're looking at a report and that report seems wrong, in that moment, you are a data steward. I'm not going to give you a role. I'm not going to give you a little banner. I'm not going to put it underneath your nameplate on outside of your cube. I'm going to ask you in that 15 minutes to fill out a quick form and send it in. And that's a data steward, right? And that's it. We don't have to put them into a big project. We don't have to put them on a self-forming agile team. They're just reporting an issue or a concern. And then when that happens, you want to celebrate them. Thank you. That was awesome. That's exactly what I needed to know. And then when you do that, it becomes much less a scale issue. What you need is people with their eyeballs on the data willing to report what they see, mm-hmm. um, willing to have a conversation with what they see. And the person that's receiving that piece of information, I want them to be open to that. Thank you for finding that. What it primarily is, the people with the right attitude, and that's the data ambassadors, which is this idea of they have to protect the thing that they are responsible for protecting while also communicating out the value of it. That's what ambassadors are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then you have traditional data stewards that still are knee deep into that data. But then you have a whole bunch of people that operate as data stewards when they look at reports and then are being critical about that information. And that's a mix. And it's not sometimes it's not anybody's full time job. And so you don't have to hire a bunch of people in order to do this well. What you do have to have is a really tight operational program. You have your four categories that you prioritize. And then you have your backlog of things that you work on. Yep. So obviously you have a lot of experience implementing data governance and just data projects in general. What are some of the most interesting, unexpected, or challenging lessons that you have learned while implementing data governance initiatives? (laughs) So I've spent more time in the seat of practitioners in organizations being responsible for some capability in data versus being a consultant. And and something amazing happens between these two functions. So when you're responsible for these data 
functions or programs or whatever you want to call them in organizations. You sit there and you read all these articles and listen to podcasts and and you think you're the only company in the world that struggles with this stuff, right? Because based on all those glossy brochures, everybody else has figured it out and you are the one that is trailing behind. You're bringing down the curve. And then you flip to the other side and you become a consultant and then you start to go out to all these companies and you start to do the work and you start looking under the hood and then you realize holy crap, (laughs) nobody does this well. But what happens is there's this little scenario where it worked really well and organizations put it into a glossy brochure because they want to brag about it. And then take that glossy brochure and you extrapolate, well, they did this one thing really well. It must mean that they do everything well. No, they just happen to knock that thing out of the park. (laughs) Everything else is a real challenge. So I think that's that's the one thing that I see and, and surprising and continues to surprise me. And it's understandable. The technology is changing so fast. Three years ago, the majority of companies were on-prem. Now, maybe the majority are in the cloud. They're in your soul. You may have data in both places right now. And then you have data in data lakes and data warehouses. And you have mm-hmm. reports all over the place. And tracking that lineage and ensuring that you know, your business definitions remain consistent across the business units. There's no reason it's difficult, and a lot of organizations struggle with this. Yeah, yeah, it is hard. It is. It is hard. It's one of the reasons why I think a lot of programs fail. So what type of data architectures do you <laughs> think are the best to support this ideological, this data quality, data governance? And I guess really more realistically, like having a centralized data repository with your data warehouse, maybe it's more of a modern data lake. Is a data service layer that... You know, for a long time, I probably would have answered that question. Oh, data warehouses are great. It's just a consolidation point. And, and however you execute against that, right? It's But it's this idea of this central data warehouse where you pull in all the disparate data and do something fancy with it. Problem is those almost never work. No. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I've been involved in, in so many data warehouse projects, I can't even count. And I can tell you that there are... You, you have some modicum of success, but for the most part, and regardless to what you call it, a data lake, a data warehouse, a star schema, snowflake schema, we have disparate data with semantic layers on top. I don't know. You know, the one that works is the one that works for you, I think, is the big thing. That's fair. Um, and we can operate from a data governance perspective from there, but... I mean, in a very simplified, if everything was centralized, would that make it easier? Of course it would. What are some of the top technologies that you have seen to support data governance ops? I think the challenge, I don't focus on tools. And you probably picked that up from the book, right? It's like uh, the the last thing that my clients work with me on is the tools. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about the framework and who does what and the processes. And as then as we're wrapping up, we're like, all right, what are the tools that you're going to use to be able to execute this? So tools don't keep me up at night. Um, they change enough that I don't really have the wherewithal anymore to keep up with sure. <laughs> everything that changes all the time. What I will say is that data catalogs as a product set has changed the way we think about data governance in the last five years. Um, companies like Alation, Calibra, Trifacta as a data wrangling tool, you know, those organizations are changing the way we think about how we do this work. And that's critical. Mm-hmm. That said, don't let it be the first thing you do, because none of those tools are going to be successful if you don't have the resources to back it up. You don't have the 
protocols and the frameworks for how you actually steward your data. Right. So I, I would probably answer it like that. And in terms of any kind of ops scenario, I think the organization to beat in that space is Data Kitchen. Okay. How is AI and ML changing data governance? What are you seeing in the industry as far as maybe some of these tools are being able to implement that sort of takes data governance to another level that you couldn't maybe do previously manually? Yeah, and I think a lot of the data catalogs are doing, you know, that kind of a thing. And I think Trifacta in particular does a lot of machine learning that creates these AI algorithms that help <laughs> help drive some of that. But, you know, I still think that there's an opportunity for us to to use machine learning to train the data so that the data itself knows when it's wrong. Um and because the problem is that in order to do AI, you need good, clean data. I can tell you that after 20 years, I've never worked in an organization that has good, clean data. So you can't do AI without good, clean data. How do you clean the data? Maybe you can use machine learning to do that, right? Create your training sets, have people that have their eyeballs on. This is the training set I want you to use. Anything that falls outside of those bounds, you know, then we flag that. And then we have somebody look at that. And then we figure that part out. Clean your data using these kinds of mechanisms. And I think that organizations like the data catalog companies are trying to get into exactly that space, which is using those tools that are you, that actually prompted so many questions about data quality and applying those logic, that kind of logic to that, to that function to make data quality much better. Yep. At the pace in which our organizations and the data is coming into. Where do you see data governance hitting over the next two to five years around? Do you see it seeing maybe, it sounds like more organizations are making it a priority for sure. What, what do you see with the industry going? I, I think that what I'm seeing in the industry right now is that there is a much more focus on agile. So tearing data governance apart, not making this monolithic thing, sort of becoming a little bit more laser focused on the difference between data governance and the, da and the compliance, the risk, the privacy, security aspects of the work, making sure that those are distinct functions that have to partner together, but they're not one in the same. It's not the kitchen sink anymore. So I think that over the next couple of years, we'll continue to see those two things separate apart. Mm -hmm. I think we'll start to see more products play in the space and get really good about presenting data back into um, so that people can take a look at it like stewards and, and have eyeballs on it and start to uh, certify that data is, is accurate and making the barriers between doing that way, way less. And we've seen a huge leaps in that in the last just two or three years. Yep. Definitely agree. So other than your book, Disrupting Data Governance, which totally recommend if you have not checked that out yet. Do you have another sort of favorite data book that you would recommend and why? Yeah, the one that is on my desk right now and has been on my desk for probably the last year is the Data Kitchen's ebook. It's okay. called The Data Ops Cookbook. Okay. Have to check yep. that out. Yeah, it's, uh, you can just go to their website and uh, it is, it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> it's a data ops cookbook. And I, yeah, and, and I like their pragmatic approach to it. Great. Thank you. So where can our listeners connect with you more online after this if they want to? Well, that's a good question. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can always follow me out there. And then my website is viagurus.com. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Laura, for joining us today. Thanks for listening to Building the Backend. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. If you want to receive the latest data news in your inbox, join the newsletter at buildingthebackend.com. 
See you next time, Data Nation.